passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody. I'm John Pollock. A very frustrated and angered John Pollock, so get ready. It's going to be a hell of a review. I'm joined by the much more even-keeled Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? I'm doing good. Not bad. How do I sound right now? You sound crystal clear. Perfect. Yeah, We we don't have anything unplugged. We don't have any um, distortion. My microphone settings are okay. We're ready to rock. Well, let's hope. I mean, I thought they were fine on Monday, too, until afterwards, so... I guess we'll find out. Yes, I was I was driving home as I got your message, and I was about to pull over because I didn't know what the entirety of your message stated. I didn't know if you were asking me to come back or if you were saying things were okay. So thankfully, I got to a red light and read your entire message. Oh, sorry. I should actually wait for you to maybe get home before sending. Well, I, did, I didn't know how there. urgent it, it was. So. Yeah, it wasn't urgent. It was, it was a bit of a fine. lengthy one. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh. No, it, it was it was fine. Whatever. So for the last hour, as I was getting ready to do this show with you, this week I have to use this backup laptop of death. It's this monstrosity that I got. Can you Instagram la- it, please? Oh, I might like take a a hammer from the bludgeon brothers and destroy this thing. That's what I literally was about to do five minutes before you called me. Well, I'd love to see that. So this story begins on the last Thursday where I am sitting having my chocolate mint tea. When I adjusted my cord and knocked my tea over onto my laptop and I, I probably said, fuck 35 times in as many seconds as I'm just quickly scrambling to dry off my laptop, turn it over, power it off, and take the battery out. For the next two days, I kept my laptop upside down and put the battery in rice. And after two and a half days, I put the battery back in. Thankfully, the thing turned on. Now... This laptop I got, it's under warranty for another three weeks. So when it comes to timing of water damage, I'm the man. So I had the option of, well, what if the hard drive is affected here by this water damage? I don't want to find this out in three weeks, and I'm fucked. So I called, and unfortunately, the guy can't come here and check it. I have to send it to them. They send you this box to send via Purolator back to them. So I did that today, and I won't get my laptop back until later this week, but it left me with this backup piece of garbage. And for 45 minutes, this thing was crashing on me. It wouldn't acknowledge my microphone. 
it was just the worst. I was going through every possible way to try and set this up. My Skype on my phone wasn't connecting with you. So I'm now on my wife's MacBook. I have gone to the dark side of using an Apple product to bring you this show. And maybe there is a lesson here that after all of this disappointment that the PC world has provided me tonight, it was an Apple that saved the day. Well, I think your lesson should be to not spill drinks on computers, first of all. There's really no one else to blame but you. Thank you. Thank you for pointing out my own human error way. Have you never had water damage? Have you never experienced that with a device? Um, I can't think of a time I've spilled tea on my laptop. You've never had a laptop die from water damage. What about a camera? No. Well, you're just a better human being than me, I guess, is what you're trying to say in a roundabout fashion. I have dropped a cell phone, yes, in, into water. I've done that. Did it total the phone? Did it live? Uh, it did live, actually. So, um, yeah, maybe we get lucky once in a while. I've destroyed a few laptops via water damage. This time, though, coffee can be very bad because you can have milk in the coffee. This was tea, and they told me that of the liquids you spill on your computer, you want it to be water-based. Did you tell so them that it was chocolate mint tea? I didn't specify the tea. I don't know if that makes a difference or not. It's it's basically water. Anyway, it's not milk. That's the main thing. But it tastes so like don't chocolate. Put, don't put milk in your tea. Like chocolate flavored water? Doesn't even it's not even really chocolate flavored. It's more of a mint flavor with a chocolate finish to it. <laughs> so chocolate flavored water. Uh yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hmm. similar to the hot dog flavored water that Limp Biscuit popularized. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. How's how's your night been? It's been uh yeah, it's been fine. I'm just actually, you know, like this is kind of my first week back and my first week of actual kind of like um not really having a a routine, I suppose, or at least figuring out a new routine for my life. Since, uh, you know, since everything's gone down, since I've come back from vacation. So uh, I think it takes up getting used to. I think I spent like between Saturday and like this afternoon, I didn't even leave the house once. So I stayed inside probably for like th like three whole days. And I only went outside for lunch with my dad this afternoon. And beyond that, I probably had no reason to leave the house at all. So, um that's kind of unfamiliar. I realized, you know, quickly that I, I kind of need to um, fill up my own schedule and just, like, have reasons, give myself reasons to, like, leave the house. Yeah, don't be a hermit. Don't be a stranger. Um, Well, I mean, I guess I'm somebody who, uh, I need a reason to do it. What am I supposed to do? Just, like, walk? Yeah. Take a I walk? I go on walks all the time by myself. I love them. Go through the park, go up to... I walk for, sometimes I go for like a two-hour walk. Yeah, wow. No, I, I don't You know really what you need? You need that. a Fitbit. You need a Fitbit. That'll give you motivation to get out of the house. You know, like. you'll be competing with yourself. Well, do you realize. And others. Do you realize like, um, like iPhones have that built in? They do, but they're not. No one ever talks about their, their app that tracks their steps. With a Fitbit, 
you can you and I could be Fitbit buddies and we could compete with one another for how many steps we walked every day. Wouldn't that be fun? Well, uh, no. <laughs> it would if you got if you had a great day and you had 12,000 steps and then you see that I plowed through 18,000. Then you'd be motivated, I think. When we were doing jiu-jitsu, I, I felt like I was wasting steps because I wouldn't wear my Fitbit during jiu-jitsu. So then I tried to clip it on, and every time it fell off on the mat, and I just had to come to the realization that all the all this all these steps I'm using just are not going to get counted. Hmm. Maybe it, um, you should just like figure out a way to implant it into your body inside why well, way i could barely get on skype tonight so i don't think i'm quite at that level of sophistication hmm so, but you could just swallow one <laughs> that might kill me no you'll at least record your progress i guess so hey, i have a question for you mm-hmm. i want to know if you think this is weird or not when you listen to podcasts what speed do you listen to them at I listen to them at a hundred percent, like like but just normal, the normal speed. Yeah, because I I've started to really enjoy listening to shows at one and a half speed, and I'm working my way up to two times the speed. I I think it's a perfectly viable option for people. It's who... so much more efficient. I can't even fathom going back to normal speed now. I, I do finish like a like I'll listen to some short daily shows that are like 16 minutes and i'm i'm done them in less than 10 now i'm sure there are people listening to us right now at one and a half or two times speed hey congratulations yeah let's start it's called uh pod fasting is that what it's called faster is that what a whole kind of subculture of this i was reading about there's there are people that will spend 2.99 on these apps that allow your podcast to be above the maximum speed like there are people that are wow. just and they tie it in with people who are completists that they just if they have all these podcasts, they have to listen to all of them and they'll speed it up to ridiculous speeds, even if they can't process the information, which I'm not that nuts. I want to be able to understand what I'm listening to. That's the thing for me is like, um, like, uh, see, I'll do this often with YouTube videos when I'm looking for information. If I'm trying to learn a tutorial t- on how to do something. I'll just like watch that thing at like two to three times. I'll just hold shift and that like that that arrow button, and just like just get to the information. Get me to learn like you know whatever a Photoshop tutorial that much quicker. I love it for for that. But for podcasts, the way I listen to them, I kind of listen to them to relax, or at least just to kind of have something on in the background without having to focus so hard. So I don't like to do them with podcasts simply. Just because I, I I like to just feel like they're natural conversations, rather than like I'm not necessarily searching for information when I'm listening to podcasts, and I don't like to pay that close attention. Like sometimes it's like it's like listening to like a like like a lecture that you have to kind of really focus on. But with podcasts, I just kind of like to be more relaxed and not really do that. Um, but I I get that most people a lot of people just want to get through let's say this review and or or this banter, so they're probably fast forwarding th- fast forwarding through all this right now just to get to what they want to hear. Well, no matter what speed, uh, 
or hope you're we hope you are listening tonight for our review. Somebody awesome. messaged that like so like they started listening to some of our new shows and like their significant other happened to be listening and I guess they knew that what had happened to us and they uh-huh. were listening to us and the significant other was saying, "Oh, they don't sound really into it. They must be down." <laughs> and um the person tweeted to me that he didn't tell her that he usually listens to us at 1.5 speed and now he's had... just listening to us at normal speed yeah <laughs> so no well, maybe he should really throw her for a loop and listen to us in two times the speed now yeah she'd be like wow they're they've really gotten over it really chipper yeah, yeah they seem really happy now maybe they we should really just start maybe we should just start uploading these shows at like two two times speed Oh, what would that do then if someone then on their end sped it up? I mean, then you're just getting insane. Maybe we should just like try to fit these into like two minute chunks. I think that would be great. Yeah. Maybe we'll wonderful. get to that point. But I feel like in general. I wish though, I could watch Raw in, in three times the speed. I mean, you, you kind of can if you download it afterwards. You know? Yeah, I guess so. Actually, um, um, like if I if I don't have to do the shows. And I just want to get through it. I'll like, I'll watch it after the fact on like Daily Motion or something, and I can watch. I can like get caught up in like half the time if I'm watching it in like two times the speed. Well, there's, there's always a way to be more convenient out there, and that's, that should be everyone's goal. Uh, I think everyone's goal should be to occasionally slow down as well. Did you catch that cough? Yeah, I did. Damn it. I screwed up. I thought I hit my mute button. Well. Well, then. Way, let's start off with 205 Live. What did you think about the show tonight? Some huge implications for the Cruiserweight division. Uh, Tell me about it. No, I didn't watch. Yeah, me neither. I did. I, 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 instead, I watched the table for three. With Rick Flair. Oh, I saw Table for Three as well. Yeah. You want to chat about that first, or you want to save that for the end? Uh, sure. Let's talk about it now. Well, this was the Table for Three with Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, and Sting, which went all of 17 minutes. That's all they sat down for, I guess. Like this, this wasn't even enough for a half-hour program with hmm. commercials. Yeah, that is kind of odd. 17 <laughs> minutes. So... This show was clearly done. I mean, it was done at WrestleMania time and clearly made sense why they held off on this because right off the top, we have Ric Flair talking about his legendary bar tabs he's had where Steamboat's bringing up that back in 78, he would drop $1,200 at the bar and Flair cuts in to say, last night, $3,000. Yeah. Hmm. What did you think about Ric Flair? He was kind of the, um, he kind of led the conversation. He's, oh, he kind of steered the ship here. I mean, the way the show was kind of designed, it was like Flair and his and his two most uh, well-known opponents, and the con, you know, it was only natural that he kind of sat in the middle and he was sort of the mediator between Sting and Ricky Steamboat because a lot of their both of their stories kind of filtered through Rick, so. It just seemed like a, you know, fun conversation, but it was also kind of like a little unusual because like you had Sting there who kind of felt like 
The way yep. it was edited, it was as though the, he was just watching these two other guys have a conversation. He it, it felt like nothing. Well, it felt like Sting was like the rookie, you know, sitting here, <laughs> like the young up and comer, you know, listening to to Steamboat and Flair kind of talk about their road stories from from the seventies. Um, but Flair, like you know, his personality is just very likable. Obviously, um, it just seems like this like big kid who just and eh, just kind of lived lived his character and continues to live his character. Um, and and his character lived him. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I suppose in contrast, Sting and Steamboat just kind of seem like two very, very regular human beings. They seem like two guys who used to be pro wrestlers that have moved on. And mm-hmm. here's a guy that is very much, he is no longer a wrestler, but mentally he is just a wrestler still. Hmm. Yeah. He has not moved on from anything, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty appropriate description of Ric Flair, who started things off by clearly with a sarcastic joke about how great it is to be here at eight in the morning for this taping. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a pain in the ass. If I was one of these guys, it's like you're, you're having me get up at how early would you have to get up to get ready for this? Do this at 8 a.m. where they probably shot all of these within the course of one or two days and probably just bulk shot all of these. And these guys were given the 8 a.m. slot. Well, I'd be pissed off because, like, all all the meal you would get would only be eggs and bacon, which is what these guys got. And if I was sitting down for a table for three, I would at least expect a nice dinner. Yeah, late late lunch, early evening slot. That would be that would be the key. Yeah, Bruno wasn't coming for eight a.m. No, and Flair probably did a few of these. Ah, Probably did the Bruno one uh, with Randy Orton the same day. He probably had multiple meals. Mm-hmm. Well, they all joked and talked about their spouses and new fiancés, new wives, got everyone up to date on their uh, Facebook relationship status. Sting had a new wife. Steamboat has a new fiancé. Flair's got his latest fiancé. Yeah. That was nice. Got up to date here. Uh, what else? What else? I mean, it wasn't really. It kind of just went through a lot of stories. Yeah, honestly, it wasn't all that newsworthy. But it was, uh, uh, like I already forget, kind of a lot of these stories. Well, I mean, they're, they're neat to listen to. It's like you know, just hanging out with like your your favorite wrestlers talking about like you know past events. But hardly anything that I think is that uh, I guess important now. A few of the stories they talked about was. Um, Flair and Steamboat wrestling over the Mid-Atlantic TV title in 1977, doing the angle where they they rubbed Steamboat's face into the cement. They talked about Flair turning on Sting in 95 and really putting this over as a much bigger angle than it really was at the time in 95. They talked about Sting's knee injury in 1990 he suffered. Um, oh, they so- did talk about that. Uh, There's like a cage match or something where um, Sting was supposed to attack Flair and Flair was supposed to come or out. Or the Patel attendant. And this put off Sting winning the title at the time in 1990. Mm-hmm. So they showed that. And so this is 17 minutes with these three guys. So they probably cut a ton. But what they made sure to include was this very painful WrestleMania teaser that they went over talking about some of the big matches like 
Shane against AJ, where they showed Shane's dive from the year prior off the Hell in a Cell. And my favorite was where they talk about Bray Wyatt and how he's he's a he's a really great character. And Flair just says, oh, the the burning the house down. And that was it. Uh, a comment without any opinion attached to it. They just mentioned the house burning down. And Flair also felt that SmackDown's a bit better than Raw, mentioning that as well. This just felt so weird that these three guys who I just believe have, I mean, Flair obviously because of Charlotte, there's that attachment, but I don't know if these are three guys that are sitting down every Monday night to watch Raw and dissect the current product. I don't, mm. I don't really need to hear about these guys and their thoughts on a WrestleMania event that took place eight months ago. My assumption would be that maybe that was um, maybe just part of the what was usable out of like because I I don't I can't see why they would have only included 17 minutes like I I would I would maybe assume that they didn't shoot that much more than what you saw um, well I mean the one that involved Bischoff and Cornette I mean Cornette talked about how long it was and how much they cut it down to be like 22 minutes something like that so each one's going to be different but it seems like there have been others where they've gone very long and you can't tell me Jim Cornette and Eric Bischoff for 40 minutes wouldn't be some entertaining stuff because I thought that one was, it's just so heavily edited. And in a conversation like this at a table where you're just going between shots, the editing is so, it really hits you over the head as well. Yes. So Yeah, what can you do though? That's the format. Well, I just don't know why they're so rigid to just... um cut stuff down like i understand if it's not great but i don't think uh a shortened like you just get snippets of these various topics that this was all that entertaining to be honest like this table for three was uh, it's nothing i'd recommend you go out of your way to see it's just it's 12 minutes of stories and five minutes about the current stuff that's it and the five minutes of the current stuff is pretty nothing yeah i mean maybe it would have been worse if you saw the whole thing oh there you go. Table for three. Highly recommended from this show. Let us get into SmackDown from Lexington, Kentucky at the Rupp Arena. Shane McMahon came out to start the show and brought up Owens and Zayn being disloyal to the SmackDown locker room and said last week he was about to fire them because they don't respect the fans, but he didn't fire them because Daniel Bryan had a great idea with the Lumberjack match where others would get their revenge on the two He's spoken with Daniel Bryan and brought him out to explain his actions last week. Bryan is out. He says that he's been fired a few times and he believes in second chances. And Owens and Zayn just wanted to be a part of the Survivor Series team. They made a bad decision and compares it to when Shane's temperament has gotten the better of his judgment. Shane says that's fair, but then he goes to list off all the things that these two have done with Owens attacking his father, Zayn getting involved at Hell in a Cell, and then betraying the roster at the Survivor Series. And Brian just defends all this as being in the name of competition and grabbing the brass ring. Brian would be a hell of a defense attorney. Like your your client is accused of murder one. How do you how do you justify these actions? Well, it's all in the name of street competition. This hmm. gang member was just trying to establish his turf. 
reach for that brass ring. So they go on to talk about Brian seeing talent in these two and doesn't want to see them go to Raw. Shane is fine with them becoming Stephanie's problem. And then Brian notes that he was brought here under the assumption that he wasn't going to be a yes man. There's one thing you you can't label Daniel Bryan. It's being a yes man. And he wants to give real talent an opportunity. And Shane then says that tonight, when Randy Orton takes on Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn is banned from ringside and it's a no DQ match, which begged the question, what would happen to Kevin Owens if Sami Zayn showed up? And we would find out. And that was the opening segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like they're doing a good job trying to build that subtle rivalry between Shane and Brian. I think their dynamic of two, mm, you know, well-meaning uh, authority figures disagreeing, I think is interesting and it's believable. I do wonder what the end goal is with that. Well, it's not a match, but I do like this. Mm-hmm. I like that the idea that you have both sides who are still baby faces to the audience that are in disagreement, but are being respectful about their disagreement. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly building. Yeah. Owens and Zayn are backstage after the break and they run into Daniel Bryan. Zayn says that Bryan is the reasonable one. And he doesn't feel he should be banned from ringside tonight, and he doesn't want Owens to get hurt because Orton's insane. And Brian turns down their request to go fix this after Owens and Zayn tell him to. The New Day came out with pancakes, and Big E pulled out pancakes and syrup from under his singlet to present to the Usos on commentary. And Graves was disgusted by this all match long. Uh, Would you eat that? No, I wouldn't touch any of this. Hmm. What about you? Would it depend on your hunger? Maybe this was no. table for three leftovers. I don't. I wouldn't care who it was from. I, I wouldn't be touching that either. I mean, to his credit, he did uh, surround the pancakes with two styrofoam plates. Mm. But yeah, I don't there know. could have been some seep through. I mean, you could have had baby oil that got in there, sweat, who knows what. Mm -hmm. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods took on Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. As we said, the Usos were on commentary for this. Uh, Pretty good tag match here. We had a rolling elbow from Woods to Gable, and then Kofi followed up with a penalty kick, bounced off the top rope with his body to splash Gable. Then Woods... uh, Nailed this kick from Shelton coming off the apron for a, uh, the commercial. Then Benj- Benjamin lifted Woods. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. Benjamin lifted Woods for a flying knee. Woods then knocked Gable off the turnbuckle, hit the missile drop kick, and then made the tag, the hot tag to Kofi. Boom drop was hit to Benjamin. The crowd is chanting for the new day. Kofi gets caught on a Trouble in Paradise attempt, and then Benjamin and Gable get sent to the floor. Woods followed with a Tope Con Hero, and then Kofi hit a super kick, held him for Woods to come off with the up, up, down, down, double foot stomp. And the New Day, I would say somewhat surprisingly, won this match. So it almost feels as though this could be a three-way program rather than Gable and Benjamin going for the tag titles solo. Yeah, what was what happened last week with Gable and last Benjamin? Last week we had... Oh, I want to say Benjamin beating one of the Usos. And we did the knee. We did Gable 
chop chopping the knee out from Jey Uso, I believe it was. Right. Well, so. yeah, uh, I, I I suppose maybe a three way, uh, you know, I guess a SmackDown Six is kind of maybe in the works. But um, for me, I'd just like to see some character development with uh, Gable and Benjamin. I think, I think like in ring. All three of these teams are just awesome. You put in any con- combination of of the three of them together, and I think you'll end up with something great. Um, but you know, the Gable and Benjamin are kind of in an area now where they're not really faces, but they're not entirely heels either. Um, so I'd like to just kind of see them really kind of solidify some of that heel edge, and you know, really kind of take that spot as like the lead heel tag team in that division. Uh, but of course, you do have the Bludgeon Brothers who are on their way up as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, a huge contributor to the tag division is no more after this show that we will get to later. They recap the attack from last week with Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan attacking Naomi, Becky, and Charlotte. Charlotte's in the locker room to have a unnatural conversation with Naomi. Are you ready for some payback? And Naomi responded that they can't stop the glow, especially when I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with the queen. Natalia walks in. She's teaming with them as well and says that Charlotte should be thanking the other women for saving her title last week. But she's willing to work with them tonight to show that the new women can't make a name off of them and that they were big fish in a small pond. But now they're on SmackDown and their five minutes of fame is up. And This was used later by, I think it was Dasha, about the term five minutes of fame. They've really got to Google Andy Warhol to 15 minutes of fame. Oh, right. If they just, uh, maybe they're not even worthy of a third. I guess they haven't even been on TV for 15 minutes yet up until this point. Even, Even after today, I don't know if they've been on for 15 minutes. Maybe that's why. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the point is just to have the baby faces seem overly confident. The Bludgeon Brothers had another match with Mojo and Zack Ryder. Harper slapped Rowan to get him going, splashed Ryder, and then hit a black hole slam. And then they hit their finish, which I believe they are calling up is down, down is up. Okay. That'll be a fun one for Phillips out to call every week. And that'll be tough in a match with the New Day. Yeah, how quick are they going to screw those two ones up? Yeah. And they won in 45 seconds. Down, Up is down, and down is up. Up <laughs> is down, and down is up. Okay. Yes. It's the up, 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 down is up, down, up. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I really want to see this tag match now just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Well, Dasha. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I thought, I mean, I think the vignettes are, vignettes are were really comically bad, but in ring, I think these two are just awesome. This Those was, vignettes were masterpieces. Yes, yes. They were, like, I thought I thought the match, though, for a squash match was just a real, like, everything you could wanted, you know, really vicious, really fast, really destructive. Uh, I like these two a lot in ring. Dasha interviews Mojo and Zack after the match. And says that you guys said you were going to get on track. You're not coming close to that. And Zach talks about where they were a year ago. coming, Winning the Battle Royal to get the tag title shots when he got hurt. Said they've, hurt, they've hit rock bottom. 
And right after this, Mojo nails Zack Ryder from behind, stomps him, kicks him in the ribs, and said, the hype bros are dead. You hear me? You hear me? We're done. We're done. Mm-hmm. Mojo was very vocal with his – he didn't leave it up in the air at all. He made it perfectly clear with his wording here that the team was done. That's what you want, right? Yeah. Shawn Michaels didn't have to say much when he threw Marty through the window. I think it was it was pretty conclusive, but Mojo wanted to make it perfectly clear that Zach knew their team was done. You can't blame him for that. Even Even when he retired Rick. You know, I'm sorry. I love you. Didn't have to say that, did he? But it's better because he did. Anyway, finally we're getting this turn. You know, I think this has been like months in, in, in the making. It's just been delayed for so long. But finally they've done it. I I think, you know, it, was, it wasn't exactly clear who would be the one turning. And, and now we know that it's Mojo turning on Zack, and I think that's the right choice because I think Mojo is the less likable of the two anyway. And, you know, it's long overdue, especially for somebody like Mojo, who I think in the end, you know, is their big project. And I hope, you know, he gets a bit of a makeover as a result of this to carry on a bit of a mean streak. And I kind of look forward to Ryder playing like a baby face out for revenge as well. So, you know, both guys were, were kind of in dire need of, like, needing to get serious. And I think this is a storyline that can help both of them do that. So let's hope they follow through. I don't know if this is going to be so much of a boost for Zach. I feel he's going to be in the role of just, like, I do agree. I think Mojo is going to be, this is a program for Mojo. And Zach is kind of just going to be a guy that's going to be, I don't know. No, it's still, it's a still, lumberjack. It's still an improvement for him. Sure. It's still airtime for him. Well, I mean, I don't know. I see him in a, a, a role that's going to be very, very minimal on this show. We'll see. Uh, I guess you might have to rename the next pay-per-view now. It'll be Clash of Champions and Mojo versus Zach. <laughs> uh, we don't even know if it'll be on, on the pay-per-view. Oh, I think this is destined for the pre-show. Hmm. After that... Uh, we go back to the internet and, champion. Uh, could be. Yeah. Maybe the they could revive it. The WWE Network champion. The pre-show champion. Mojo's backstage and Kayla asks why he attacked Zach. When did this Kayla girl debut? I mean, she's been on NXT. I think she's still on NXT. And yeah, now it's a game of uh, telling her and Dasha apart. Yeah. I mean, another brunette? Like, they're really just clearly looking for clones, you know? They're, I think they, they, they clearly just want all of them to be indistinguishable. You know, we have, like, it's like we have certain, like, it's the same kind of, like, um, casting call sheet that, that they've had this entire time for that particular role. Only brunette white girls as backstage correspondents. Only black men as color commentators. You know, it's like every, every role in that company is kind of taken up by that one uh, type. I I don't know what Kayla's ethnicity is, but nonetheless, maybe they'll have name tags. Would that help you? Um, sure. Why not? Well, Mojo says that the landscape has changed. That was his answer. Uh, Byron 
is not surprised that this happened. Then we go to Dasha way. Dasha was with Bobby Roode, who doesn't think that Baron Corbin accidentally struck him last week. He thinks it was premeditated. Deep down, he says Corbin knows there is someone smarter and better than him, which, yeah, safe assumption. And he's scared someone's going to take his U.S. title. So he lashes out at people he perceives to be a threat, and he goes to do his catchphrase when Baron walks in laughing off the idea that he's scared. And Bobby Roode asks him to prove it. Defend your title against me tonight. And Corbin nods his head and then says, no. We got to wait for this one. This is a feud that I can't possibly get intrigued by. No, me neither. I mean, the crowd, for whatever reason, seemed behind Roode, at least uh, in this segment. But to me, he's just been awfully generic and quite forgettable since his debut. In six months, who is going to be the higher guy on the pecking order on SmackDown? Is it going to be Baron Corbin or Mojo Rawley? Because I see them essentially fighting for the exact same role on SmackDown. The limited um, heel tough guy. Yeah, I think it'll be Baron. Yeah, well, that's a few to really uh, sit back and enjoy. The Singh brothers came out. I love this. The Singh brothers who are in the match still introduced Jinder Mahal as the featured part of this act. So they all came out. Jinder looked ridiculous. He was wearing these tight pants, this tight shirt, and this tie. And he looked like, I don't want to say used car salesman, but he just he just looked so goofy with his outfit. He really just, he does, like, he definitely definitely loses something without the belt, you know? I think so much of his look was him with that championship and that grand entrance. Without the belt, he, he definitely seems like he's missing a lot. This led into our handicap match that they promoted last week with AJ Styles against Sunil and Samir Singh. But before the match could begin, Jinder jumped AJ, stomped him, and they all ganged up on him and threw him ribs first into the post. We come back from the break, and the referee, sensing that this man could have broken ribs, decided, yep, he's good to go. And AJ took the match. Uh, I guess it was his inner Michael Bisping and had better results, though. So... This gave a reason for Sunil and Samir to believably get heat on AJ Styles as they beat him down two on one. They stomped on him, went after the ribs, and they shoulder blocked the ribs. Styles finally fights back. Samir clips his knee, which has to be the favorite spot amongst the producers on SmackDown because they do it all over the place on this show. He stops a double superplex attempt, kicks Jinder off the apron, and then Sunil is laying down on the mat. Styles blocks a super Frankensteiner attempt by Samir and hits a Styles clash off the second turnbuckle, just like he did to uh, Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 9. But this one landing on Samir for this tremendous finishing sequence. No, I, I really loved watching the things just uh, bump around for this guy uh, during the comeback, and the finish was great. I thought this was awesome. I thought, I mean, this crowd was already way into him before the bell, so I think they did a great job stacking those odds against him even further in this handicap match, and that finish was just a, a perfect finish for this. Just 
well executed from start to finish. Yeah, it almost makes you imagine like the Sings had this idea for weeks because they had teased this handicap match before. And then that was the week that they ended up doing the title change instead. So I'm sure these guys had this idea and AJ was game to do it because it it looked great. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, Jinder gets upset at the Sings and attacks both of them with the Coloss, including Samir, who like spun in midair and just looked nuts taking this pretty simple move uh, as the crowd chanted, you still suck at Jinder Mahal and left these two sings laying, which I really hope they don't end up breaking up this group because I really like the sings with Jinder and I worry where they would end up without him because I don't think they'd have much of a shelf life. And these guys are really great. Yeah, that's my concern too. I mean, I felt like somebody like a James Ellsworth added a lot to Carmella, uh, even just as a visual. And certainly that that is even even more important for Jinder Mahal, who I think needs all the kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors that he can get. And the Sings are a huge part of that. So I hope uh, they're not writing them off. Then we went to Dasha with Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan. I guess I should uh, correctly pronounce her name now. Ruby Riata. Mm-hmm. Because they've added a T to her last name. Mm-hmm. Did you notice this? I did. She got the Taz effect. Yeah. Now, in other times, it's been for certain trademark purposes that they've done that. That was the case with Taz. With Ruby Riot, that was their own name they came up with in NXT. So I wonder why well, I imagine they changed it now. It's probably for the Riot squad which probably isn't something that they've trademarked. But Riot Squad, they own that. I guess so. So that is the name of the group. I guess an ode to the uh, the Dusik Riot Squad, uh, for you historians out there. And Ruby said that they sent a message last week to the WWE Universe that they're not here to audition for Total Divas. They're going to turn the division upside down and call Sarah and Liv two of the most dangerous women in the world, which is quite the <laughs> label to place on Liv Morgan. Mm. Well, I one mean, one of the most dangerous women in the world. I mean, she could be, she's kind of, she's kind of green. <laughs> Might be the most <laughs> yeah. true of all of them. Ruby calls Liv her little firecracker. And Liv says, I'm going to pop off. Like it's the 4th of July. And then Ruby says that Logan is the grittiest Southern Belle I have ever met. Sarah says, I'm from a family of hunters. We set a trap, and tonight we bag three big game trophies. And Ruby ends by saying, they are about to experience a riot. Yeah. I I know in the WWE, they really love their, their branding. But this just felt so much like <laughs> you're a riot. That's who you are. You are a firecracker. Talk as though you're a firecracker. Literally. You are a southern be- – like this felt like glow character uh, <laughs> formations. 
that, that like brainstorming that they came up with. It's like 101 improv class. You are a taxi driver. Go. I'm going to pop off like the 4th of July. Like you're literally a firecracker. Like it's not even a uh, uh, an analogy that you're you have a short fuse. No, you're you're literally a firecracker. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> I don't mind the name. I like the Riot Squad. Yeah, it's fine. I think that's better than Absolution. I think they're both whatever. You know, they're they're what they make of it. What did you think about? Because we talked about Paige. I mean, being very yeah. good as the anchor here. What did you think about Ruby here? Well, Ruby certainly. You know the strongest of the three, the probably the the one with the most experience of the three, probably the str- yeah by far the strongest talker of the three. Not as strong as Paige, but I thought Ruby did fine, uh, and I think she'll you know get uh, more comfortable, no doubt. Like maybe some nerves, you know, being on live television, uh, on the main roster for the first time, speaking in in a pretty major role, you know, um, but. I'm sure she's more than capable, and I think with time she'll you'll you'll get this here that much more comfortable. I thought, you know, I think in in a short amount of time they managed to create distinct personalities for each member, and I think that's all you can really ask for at this moment. You kind of have like Liv Morgan kind of playing this kind of sidekick Harley Quinn type of thing, and Sarah Logan as the Southern Belle is is sort of an interesting you know act that they don't really have yet on the on the women's roster, so. Um, it's interesting because like you're going to get um direct comparisons to between this group and Absolution probably every single week, um, and I have to believe that's somewhat intentional. Maybe you know I I I would think I that. I mean, it's brought up on commentary. I mean, they're not trying to hide the fact yeah. that there are pretty much the same storyline happening on both shows. And I imagine like maybe they'd meet up at either in that Rumble or maybe some some match at Mania or down the line, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe they definitely have something in the works, but you know, it's interesting to kind of track both progression one day after the other. And so far, I would say for both teams, they've managed to craft out, they managed to start them off with a bang. And then like in the second week, craft out kind of their individual personalities. Uh, And, you know, it has me intrigued. The New Day did a WWE shop promo. I thought for this week, the New Day blew away Gallows and Anderson. Well, it's just so much. I mean, it's the when 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 Gallows and Anderson do it, it kind of feels like a little bit sad, even though it's not. It's really not. I'm sure they, you know, they have probably have a lot of fun doing it. But when the New Day do it, it's so much a part of their character that it's like they really do come across like guys that are just having fun and them joking around doing like uh, merch sales is just so much a part part of their character which has been established whereas for Gallows and Anderson um they've yet to kind of establish that even though you know it could be in the future they updated the takeover graphic on Smackdown so kudos to them and then Charlotte Natalia Naomi took on Ruby Riot Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan I was getting ready for Charlotte to come out and then Natalia and Naomi were injured in the back <laughs> but we did get the six woman tag here. you pretty much got that during the match Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, first off, they showed shots of Rick and Charlotte at Starcade, Steamboat shaking hands with Nakamura, who was not on tonight's show, and Arn Anderson delivering a, a spinebuster to Dolph Ziggler. So that was our Starcade recap. And they Natalia did they walked. did film it, I believe. They did have cameras there. They did. I I mean, they should probably at some point 
do something with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you do really. It's like the idea of like in a month they put it up on the WWE network. It'll have some interest, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not dying to. It was a house show. I mean, it was a, it was a more than usually promoted house show with a nostalgic twist to it. You're just like a DVD extra or something. Maybe. Uh, Natalia walked out on the team pretty early and stated, I'm out of here. Taking from the Mojo Raleigh playbook. Charlotte then was chopping live. And then we abruptly cut the break, uh, came back. They got the advantage on Charlotte in their corner. Graves notes the similar path that the new female groups have taken on Raw and SmackDown. Logan and Morgan then go after Naomi. Logan takes out her knee and then they messed up this timing because the two of them were going to throw her into the barricade and they they just timed it wrong. So Naomi got awkwardly thrown into the barricade at the corner instead of the flat part of it. It, lo- they, it looked devastating to me. Yeah, I don't think I think that was by mistake rather than for effect. Uh, they put the steps upright and then sent Naomi into them. And then Logan slingshot Naomi from underneath into the steps over top of her. So it's three on one on Charlotte. She fights back, goes to send Ruby into the turnbuckle, speared Morgan. And then Logan runs her knee from the apron into Charlotte and Riot, Riot hits her overhead kick and pins Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And then Naomi was taken away in a stretcher. Yeah, I, I thought the booking of this group was tremendous. I think they managed to make him look like a serious threat. Uh, I'm really quite impressed with Sarah Logan. I think she <laughs> seemed to lead the attack on the outside, and she just, you know, played the muscle of the group really well. And uh, her, her, I mean, I would kind of maybe say it's not really, you know, um, I, 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 too much of a criticism to say that Liv Morgan is uh, by far the most inexperienced of the group, and it one took... of the most dangerous women in the world. <laughs> yeah, and it really shows, unfortunately. But you know, she's kind of being protected in a, in a group of, of, of with the other two. Uh, again, you know, Ruby's totally solid. I think Sarah Logan is really solid, and um, she managed to make some really simple spots look very devastating. So. Uh, I I will say I feel like they they do have to change Ruby Riot's music. That generic kind of '90s X Games punk music just doesn't fit that menacing tone that I think they're going for with this group. Then we had Kayla outside of Randy Orton's locker room, and then perfect timing, Randy came out and just stormed right past her. He will only speak to Dasha and no one else. And that took us to the fashion files. Remember these? Yeah. This was called Sod, where Brizongo are in chains in a shower with the Ascension. And then the uh, a spoof on the, uh, the villain from the Saw movies appears on an iPad, telling them they have made a mockery of the tag division and poisonous gas will fill this room in one minute. So what they have to do is get the key from the mangled horse that they did flashbacks of, which Fandango used to have. I, Tully, I, Tully. Tully, that was the name of it, and yes. And the, the joke was that they have to beat this dead horse in order yes. to find the key. That was the joke. Yeah. Beat the dead horse. 
and they get the key. Brizongo frees themselves but leaves the ascension as gas fills the room, and it ends with to be continued. Now, did I read too much into this that this could be the writing off of the ascension? Um, what do you think? You think that, they're you think they're gone? Period. Yes, like they're fired from the company. Uh, maybe not fired, but they disappear. Um, I, I've, you know, that's possible, but uh, it, it could also just mean nothing. Yeah, these segments uh, kind of mean nothing. Well, I feel like I definitely feel like the interest in the audience for this is probably dwindling by the by the every two weeks that this they they actually air one of these. They twin um, peaked a long time ago. Yeah, I, I would say they peaked even before that, but. You know, I think the Twin Peaks was the the high point. I suppose not for me, but like, yeah, I guess because I guess, Twin Peaks fans enjoyed it, yeah, and that was the barometer of success for I that suppose. segment. And like, maybe there's some really big Saw fans who just absolutely loved this one and thought this was the peak. I don't know. I, I, I those mean, fans don't exist. <laughs> Saw though, like, what when did that come out? When was the last Saw movie? Dude, I saw the first Saw movie. Dude, the first Saw movie sucks. I was stunned this thing had the life that it did. Because Saw 1 versus Saw 2 are totally different. The first one is so low budget, I hated that first movie. And the second one, it's like got a full-on budget. It's like just that first movie, Hmm. they just totally built upon it. And it became this huge, successful franchise every October. Well, maybe when you they watch that first one. I was like, I didn't see any interest in this movie. Maybe that's what they're setting up for with the fashion files. Maybe next week will be just amazing. Um, yeah, you know, like my point is, I feel like there's there's maybe still some baseline level of fan for this. Um, it's just I think it hasn't worked at all for me personally, and I think for a lot of people watching this for many weeks and. You know, I, I do think that there's potential still to, like, do something that, that maybe is a bit more interesting to a, a number of people. And for one thing, I feel like having an actual thread of story where one thing actually has re- repercussions and follow through uh, with another week and mysteries are actually solved. I think that would be great. You know, it's like I, I know the joke is that they never resolve anything, but um that wears thin real quick. Yeah, it really I mean, does. They're relying 100% on the parody factor and not having any conclusion, any payoff to any of this. And it's is, just, is hey, it? we're, we'll, we'll spoof this. They are the weird yeah. owl of wrestling angles. And is it really all that difficult to like just make some type of basic story that will lead into a match for a kickoff show at the most? You know, you're giving, you're spending time on on cameras and lighting and sets and all this stuff and, and producing these anyway. Why not put a bit of extra effort into actually making a coherent storyline? Yeah, it's these segments are divorced from the episode of SmackDown, the entire brand. It's like these live on their own. They have no repercussions in the ring, in any other. They don't cross over into any other storylines. They're just they're almost mm. like these weird intermissions from the show. And certainly it's what, like, that type of, you know, um, philosophy is probably what made these successful in the first place. But they they really needed to evolve, I think, several weeks ago. Main event was Kevin Owens and Randy Orton. And 
Orton immediately went for the RKO. They had a big start to this match with Orton just killing Owens, taking him to the floor, clotheslining him, sending Owens into the steps over the announcer's desk, and then bringing out a kendo stick to attack Owens over and over with. Finally, Owens caught him with a kendo stick shot of his own, sent Orton into the post, and hit a fallaway slam into the barricade. After the break, Owens was now in control. Owens ducked a kendo stick shot, or, or Orton did, and kicked Owens in the leg, but then ate a DDT. Owens missed a cannonball in the corner. Orton's hitting him with uppercuts on the floor, back suplexes him onto the barricade, then onto the announcer's desk. He calls for the RKO. Owens then bails to the floor, goes through the crowd. They get up by the entrance, and this is when Sami Zayn attacks Orton from behind with a chair, technically not being at ringside. And they go back to the ring, Orton recovers, hitting a draping DDT, but then Owens blocks the RKO, chops the knee, and then hits him with a super kick and a frog splash and pins Orton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hot crowd until the end. You know, they, they beat the shit out of each other with those kendo sticks. And, um, Orton, I like this match. Yeah, I thought Orton, you know, was very good at playing that sadistic loose cannon. And he played that... 100% in this match. Um, I, I kind of found myself losing a bit of energy towards the end, though, because uh, I realized, like, the outcome of this didn't necessarily... Would, wouldn't really have any repercussion. It just felt like another... Like, at the end of this, okay, what what's the story? Oh, they disobeyed Shane again. So, it just or feels... Or did they? That's... Every, every action that they commit, they have some reasonable defense for like he wasn't technically at ringside okay yes did they or didn't they but either way did you need to see this you know like was this must see uh, a must see week of of storyline progression no i wouldn't say so you can you could have skipped this episode and this story uh coming out of this edition of smackdown and you would have been right back where you like you you wouldn't have missed a thing in in the overall storyline so i just I don't know. I feel like every it's 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 a lot to ask for, I suppose, when you're making that much television to have something that is actually important happen every single week. But I just, I I just thought this one. Oh, they disobeyed Shane again. I thought it was just too much of a nothing. I I kind of I thought it was clever the way they involve Sammy by doing it at the entrance, and it's also now Zayn. Granted, I mean, they already gave Orton his win back. But you have had Zayn and Owens now beat Orton. And I would presume that Clash of Champions would probably be Orton and maybe paired with someone. Maybe Nakamura, who has nothing going on. Maybe a tag match. Maybe it's Orton and Shane. Maybe it's Orton and Shane against Owens and Zayn at Clash of Champions. That sucks as a match. As a pay-per-view match? What other direction do you see? I mean, some type of singles match, I think, would be better on a marquee than... With who? Either, any of those guys. Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon, I guess, again. Or... Just done that. Sami Zayn versus Shane McMahon. I don't know. But it just... A tag match like that just kind of feels like it's a SmackDown main event. Could be something with a stipulation involved. Like Owens and Zayn get to run SmackDown for 30 days if they beat... Shane. Yeah, okay, that that would help. Yeah, I I do uh, really ultimately hope we get to see the Kevin and Sammy show 
complete with graphics and new theme music and everything. It would be something clever to have something something like that where Shane's job is on the line or something where Owens and Zayn get it, and you could have Daniel Bryan as the referee who does something subtle to lead to Owens and Zayn winning, but I don't even know what you can do with Bryan. Like, what can he do? Any physicality? Can he do anything that would lead to a a win for Owens and Zayn? I mean, you're into this weird area of like what. What are they comfortable allowing Brian to do? Because it seems like it's nothing right now. I feel like they, at the very least, they'd allow him to put on his submission. Um, but yeah, maybe they, you know, to to set an example, they're probably especially careful with, with him, or maybe they're saving that. I don't know. Yeah. So I I like the storyline. I I think they're I, I'm into it on on SmackDown where they are going yeah. with that. I mean, I'm into it. I just thought this was uh. Very kind of slow progression. No Shinsuke Nakamura on this show. The forgotten yeah. lumberjack. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't on. Rusev wasn't on. Mm. That's yeah. the thing. It's like when you're adding, you know, you just added these three women who are going to get a lot of focus when uh, there's going to be, like, look at the women's division. I mean, you're not probably going to see Tamina and Lana getting much screen time when yeah, you introduce... On. Uh, Carmella, total forgotten on this show. I mean, SmackDown, when you have that less hour, not that I'm complaining, but when you have all that stuff, you're you're going to have these situations where people are not there every week. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I really, I don't necessarily think it is. I think you have the your main characters that, that are to be focused on every single week. And um, yeah, I don't think it necessarily hurts. I wouldn't be too upset if we didn't get a Fashion Files again next week. Oh, man, my heart would be broken we didn't get that next week some resolution to the fate of the ascension i am interested though in um where they go with uh mojo and zach you know i feel like these two probably have had a lot of time to think about this story this feud and hopefully you know we get to see the result of it and hopefully it's you know like this is their chance it's both of their chances to actually you know uh, get out from under mid-card hell and yeah hopefully um it, they follow through. I think you're you're setting yourself up for some major disappointment. Way, yeah, we'll see. I'm we'll I'm an optimist. Out. Well, I'm not. Well, that's the show. Hey, by the way, I watched uh, Jim and Andy. Oh night. well, the floor is yours. Man, it was great. Like really, I I I remember seeing Man on the Moon, um, probably around the time that I did uh that Andy Kaufman review with Jason Agnew for review away. Um, I so, saw that movie in the theater, I believe. Yeah. So it had, I think at least been a couple years for me, but I just remember being way more entertained watching this documentary than even that movie. Like, yeah, it, it, it is incredible. Like the length the movie's that, okay. It's, 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 it's not, good. It's a biopic, but I mean, incredible. But, like, watching yeah. the movie, you'd have no idea all this stuff went on and that Jim Carrey was, like, this into Andy Kaufman. Like, essentially, the guy claims that he was channeling Andy uh, from the moment he decided to do this movie. And... There, there were a lot of stories at the time because, like, the, the, the assault stuff with Lawler and Jim Carrey, that stuff was covered, as you see in the documentary. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people were assuming it was just a work to try and play off of 
the Lawler Kaufman stuff from 1982. And I I think people are very skeptical that this was real. It was just a publicity stunt. Me too. Which, in a weird way, it was. I mean, you could say someone was, but not everyone was in on it. I suppose so, but like honestly, somebody like like Jerry Lawler, I wouldn't put past him to know exactly what he was doing, right? Yeah. Um, And like in that sense, like Jim Carrey doing this movie and playing Andy Kaufman, playing uh uh uh, what's his name Tony uh Tony what Tony Clifton Tony Clifton twenty four seven that really is the most Andy Kaufman thing somebody could do, and it it's it just felt like. You know, for him, this this whole process of the movie was kind of the performance, not just what you see on screen in the actual film. So, oh, th- this documentary was better than the movie. Yeah, so I'm so glad. I'm really glad. Like, it, this was produced by Vice, so like, I'm really glad they took this footage and that Jim Carrey is the Jim Carrey that we know today. Who's, I mean, I think who who deserves a documentary onto himself at this point in his life, just the amount of transformation he's seen. Um, and, and yeah, I highly recommend this, this documentary. And they explain it as well, because you're asking yourself during the beginning of this documentary, like there's a camera rolling here. So inherently you're performing for this Mm -hmm. camera. And they explain that, um, Andy Kaufman's real life girlfriend and Bob Zamuda, who is played by, Uh, Paul Giamatta in the film were in charge of like Jim Carrey had gone to the producers about doing this electronic press kit and he didn't want the studio handling it. He wanted these two to be following him and taping the stuff. So that was kind of the reason all this footage existed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like if you're Jim Carrey though, like you, you're thinking, you know, oh, I'm Andy Kaufman. I want to be surrounded by the two people that um, I'm closest to. And in in Andy's life, as far as we know, it was his girlfriend it was, and it was Bob Zamuda. So um, I'm sure you had that much better footage as a, as a result of these two being around him the whole time, too. Um, it was strange, the, um, the interaction with Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman's real father. Yeah. And then yeah. tell the story about Andy Kaufman's sister, if I'm not mistaken, da- who came daughter, daughter. Yeah. Th- you're right, the daughter who the was daughter, who, the daughter who had never met him, and went to Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman to meet her dead father. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> and Jim Carrey was clearly very emotional about this, like as mm-hmm. though he was channeling Andy Kaufman to. Andy Kaufman's daughter. I mean, it's it's a real head trip, this documentary. And yeah. if you did not have Jim Carrey present day to reflect on this from a more kind of centered mindset, this would not have worked at all. Yeah, yeah. You have to wonder, you know, if, if this could have been made or this, this if this documentary kind of like could have existed with Jim Carrey from like, you know, the time that this was produced. I wonder... I wonder. Um, I don't think if you had Jim Carrey with his the current interview in the documentary to explain his mindset and thoughts behind all of this, I don't think you would have bought this as real. I think you would have felt this was just Jim Carrey trying to put on a performance on the set 
And I don't think you really would have truly gotten what he was going through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's like, there's so much stuff that wasn't even filmed, you know, like the whole process of Jim coming down from doing this movie and portraying Andy, I think in itself would have been like incredible to see. Like he talks about how he just forgot who he was, you know, he was playing Andy Coffin for like a year and lived Andy Coffin's life for a year. And it was kind of difficult for him to come back to who he was. But like, I mean, we talk about, you know, staying in character all the time in kayfabe and professional wrestling, but like, um, that I think is almost a, a whole different level and it's uh, incredibly fascinating, especially from a pro wrestling perspective. Yeah, I think certainly if you go into it with that kind of knowledge base and following that industry, you'll have a greater appreciation of this. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I certainly found it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's going to bring an end to the show. Way, it's been another tremendous week speaking with you. Yeah, likewise. Next week, uh, we'll have your computer back. Yes, I will. Um, it will be back. I'll give everyone a, an update. Uh, coming up this weekend, Way, are you going to watch the UFC event? It's actually a pretty great card. What's the card? We've got Max Holloway against Jose Aldo, Alistair Overeem against Francis Ngannou. The big fight is Eddie Alvarez against Justin Gaethje, which is going to be bananas. Okay. That's going to be an awesome fight. Cool. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll watch it after after the fact. All right. I'm not that interested these days. Uh, it takes a lot to get your, your hype train going. Hmm. It's a good card on Saturday. I guarantee I think it's going to be a great card. Guaranteed. It's so okay. big I, I might I might do uh I might do some predictions on Instagram. With the dog filter? Never know. Oh, no, wait. I won't. Uh that is it for us, everyone. As always, you can go to John Enway four dot life and you can follow all of our shows. We have shows that drop Monday night and Wednesday morning covering Raw and SmackDown. That is where you can go at way0937, at I am John Pollock on Twitter, on Instagram, and we'll speak with you Monday night following Raw.